Alrighty, everybody. Well, welcome um, to our sixth and final uh, part of in class in discu uh, discussing, discussing biblical sexuality. Um, in this final part, we're going to talk about where we go from here. Um, we have looked at how to define sexuality, that is, that it's chastity and singleness and faithfulness in marriage. And um, we've uh, explored our past, our present, understand how, God, how that deviates from God's view of sexuality and, and sex. Um, and then today we're going we're gonna to build off that in, in some practical ways. What does it look like for us to actually um, live out chastity and singleness and faithfulness in marriage? And so I do want to give us a heads up as we get into the discussion, because today we are going to be talking through um, what it looks like to practically live this out, but we're also going to be doing that by looking at negative examples. So some of the topic that we'll talk about today is actually maybe going to be a little bit heavier. Um, it's going to be um, a little bit more sensitive, and we're going to use some more specific terminology. So if anyone pref would prefer not to be a part of um, this section of the class uh, and would, or would prefer their kids not to be a part, then uh, feel free to step out at any time. Um, but because of the heavy nature of the topic today, I want us to be ready to meet that um, with the hope of Scripture. And so could I have maybe just five volunteers who would be ready to um, read a couple of passages that we have uh, for today? Anyone that would be able to, willing to volunteer? Gabe? Uh, Kaylin? Yeah? I don't know your name. Who's Howard. That? Howard? Okay, great. Um, anyone else? we got three. I need five. So Rachel? Anyone else? One more? Oh, yes. Right there. Perfect. Great. Um, so, um, Gabe, if you would grab Philippians 1, 6. And then, Kaylin, if you could get 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Howard, if you would get 1 Corinthians 6, 11. And then, who else did I have? Rachel, uh, could you get 1 John 2, 1 and 2. And then, what was your name? Jalen. All right, great, Jalen. Could you grab Psalm 23, 1 and 2 for me? Perfect, thank you very much. Now, as Alex worked through last week, sex is designed to help us understand how deep God's desire is to be in relationship with us. That it helps us understand how deeply God yearns for us, and it, it makes God more knowable. And I want to build on this definition that broadly the, the purpose of sex is to help us understand and better reflect what it means to be in relationship with God. And so this then begs the question of how do we do this? What does that look like? What does it look like for me as a married person? What does it look like for me as a single person? How do we better reflect what it means to be in relationship with God? So first and foremost, we have to address our understanding of ourselves. Uh, this, there's something that changes the way that we think about ourselves. And so um, it starts with our identity. And so culturally, we've made sexuality the primary way of understanding ourselves. So, uh, but, but if that's not what the purpose of sex is, then um, if that's not the purpose of our sexuality, then we have to understand how uh, we have to then how we understand actually needs to be derived from somewhere else, not just uh, from our sexuality. So what this means is that um, our primary identity is different. 
um, and sexuality, while whether we are heterosexual, homosexual, or any other sort of sexual, is a, is a part of our understanding of ourselves, but it's not primarily how we understand ourselves. You understand that distinction? It's a part of, but it's not primarily. Now, sexuality is a part of who we are. We are human beings. We are sexual beings, but it's not primarily defining our nature. So instead, there's actually another place that I think we should start um, in understanding who we are primarily. And I think that um, Genesis 1, 26 and 27 actually is a good, good place to start. And uh, that says this, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning and the sixth day. Now I'd be interested to hear what it is that you guys see in this passage that is identity-oriented. Yes? We are created in the image of God. Yes, absolutely. That is one very key aspect, right? That we are mentally, morally, socially made to reflect God's intellect, God's creative nature, God's moral righteousness, God's love, God's intimacy. All of these different aspects about God, we were created to reflect those. What else do we see? Are, is there anything else that we see in here that's identity-oriented? Yeah, yeah, that we have dominion, that we were created with a purpose, right? That's absolutely right. What else? Anything else in there? Male and female. Male and female, yeah. That God gives us identity in our gender, right? That is a part of who we are. So I also want to point out in verse 31 that God stated very clearly that everything that he created and the purpose for which he created it was very good. Now, I want to note that this was marred by sin. So now we reflect a broken image, but it is still our primary identity. So our primary identity then is, as human beings, um, to image God. It comes from being created in the image of God, and that dictates how we live out um, our identity. And it's... Um, that dictates how we live out our sexuality because our sexuality is part of, not primary, um, then it affects the way that we live out our sexuality. And so it's crucial that we really seek to humbly submit ourselves to uh, God in this aspect, right? Just like Will was talking about in the sermon. It was a great prep for our class today. Um, that God has clearly outlined two ways for living out our sexuality. Um, and that is through marriage and that is through singleness. And, and this is where we begin to build on what uh, Alex discussed over the past two weeks and how God views sexuality and sex. And so we, um, we practice faithfulness in marriage and we practice chastity and singleness. And so we're going to start with um, actually with singleness today. And I want us to think through, because so often in our culture, not even... Um, just in our time today, but really throughout even history, there's, there's been uh, this emphasis on marriage as like the ultimate. Like there's, it is the most advantageous, it is the most, um, it is kind of the, one of the best things that you can do in life is to get married. 
If you are married, then you've arrived. Um, if you're married, then you've managed to kind of figure out the secrets of life. So shh, don't, don't tell anybody, right? Um, but it's, it's, if that were true, some marriages really wouldn't be in such a disarray that they are today, would they? And yet there's so much pressure to find someone to, to, to get married. Um, and that is true today. And it was true in Jesus's day. But, um, but I want us to really think about the idea of singleness. Okay. Is singleness a gift? Is singleness a gift? Because I think that singleness is a blessing in our life. But I want to think about is singleness a gift? What do we think? Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that singleness is a gift, but it may not be that uh, in the way that we often think about it. I think that we often think about singleness um, being a gift somewhere along the lines of maybe this unique ability to withstand loneliness um, or sexual desire that somehow they just, man, they, they just got it together. Or it's a unique and specific call on our life to remain single for the rest of our life. That there is no hope or no chance. God told me I'm single. That's what I'm doing. I'm not even going to think about getting married. Uh, It could also be that we think of it as a specific ability or capacity to enjoy singleness. That this is not just, I'm just not suffering through. Um, Or we think of it as a spiritual gift where there's maybe some kind of mysterious understanding that we have about, uh, about life. But I want us to consider really, because I think this, this often comes from where uh, Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 7, he describes singleness as a gift. Um, but if you turn and look, and we won't today for the sake of time, but if you, if you turn and look, you find that um, he says so in the context of our calling to salvation. That, that singleness is a call, um, but it's, it's, a, it's a gift and it's a call um, in, within the context of our salvation, that we, are, we were bought with a price, that we are to honor God with our bodies, that we remain faithful in our marriage, uh, if we are married, is what Paul is talking about, and that we, remain, uh, we practice chastity in our singleness, that we are to remain as we are called because salvation uh, matters more than our current state. But how we typically think about singleness doesn't really line up with that. But I want us to consider how Jesus, uh, what Jesus says about singleness. And so in Jesus' day, marriage was elevated and revered. And uh, in Matthew 19, the Pharisees actually challenged Jesus on the concept of marriage, um, on, specifically on the, the concept of divorce and remarriage. And he answered them, as Jesus typically does, in a very unprecedented way. Uh, Whoever divorces his wife and whoever marries another actually commits adultery. So this common practice of divorcing someone because you didn't, you know, whatever trivial trivial reason you could fill in the blank for, um, and then you would get married to another person, there's a common practice throughout Jesus' day. Um, He was actually challenging this Um, and saying that someone who did that was committing adultery. And so his disciples were a bit taken aback by this, um, and they exclaimed that it would actually be better not to marry at all. Um, And they were kind of expecting Jesus to maybe step in and and defend the idea of marriage as they understood it in their day. But instead, Jesus says something else. 
And Seti says this, that not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have, been made, uh, who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. And so he uses eunuchs figuratively here uh, to state his meaning, that both eunuchs who have been made that way from birth and eunuchs who uh, were made that way by men represent those who are single involuntarily. And then there are those who voluntarily make themselves uh, single or they put off marriage for the sake of the kingdom. And Jesus is saying that singleness is actually advantageous. It's actually a good thing because it allows us to be single-mindedly focused on the kingdom. It allows us to be single-mindedly thinking about and focused on our relationship with God. And so he's actually advocating for singleness by saying that if anyone has the capacity to understand it, that's, that it's not advantageous, then understand it, to receive it. Actually uh, think about what that could mean for your life. And this was a little bit of a monumental statement for um, uh, for the times, and I would actually that it is for today as well. Now, I say all of this because it's important to understand why uh, singleness, or it's important for us to understand singleness in the way that God uh, understands it, because it plays out in our sexuality. It affects the way that a single person is able to live out chastity in their singleness. Oftentimes, um, we can look at singleness as a negative thing, that we have somehow missed out on God's blessing. Um, that, and oftentimes we can use that as an excuse to act out sexually, or we can use it as a way to, um, to distort uh, the, the way that we live out sexually. And it maybe actually misunderstands the primary identity that we have as human beings um, in God. And so I want to take a look at what some of those distortions are and single. So first of all, um, we have premarital sex. So for those who are dating um, or engaged or are in an engaged relationship, this, this can often be justified, um, or even if you're not dating, um, it can often be justified by saying that we just love each other or we're going to be married anyway. So, you know, what's the big deal? But this is not conforming and submitting to the way that God has um, set up sexuality for um, to be practiced. Um, and we'll take a look at uh, that a little bit more as we go. But uh, secondly, secondly, it's displaying an attitude of self-focused sexuality. Um, sex is about me and it's about my needs, not about loving you and um, giving myself to my future spouse. Um, oftentimes it can also uh, be distorted through fantasy, through the use of pornography or through fantasizing about other people. Um, it can be distorted through belief that sex is a need, not a desire. That somehow I deserve it, that this is a part of my primal need, um, this is something that can't be controlled, um, that it's something that I actually need to survive can also be distorted through thinking that it's the only way to have intimacy with someone. Let me ask you, because I think that this goes deeper into what it means to actually be intimate with someone. Is it possible for 
to have a relationship with someone that goes deeper emotionally and relationally uh, without becoming physical or romantic. Is that a possibility? I think, yeah. I think that God created that as a possibility. And I think also that we see that um, another distortion is that the only way to find true satisfaction in life is um, through sexual intimacy um, or that God doesn't meet or can't change my desire for sex. These are all ways that sex can be distorted in singleness. And it may be that you're seeing and recognizing some of these things in your own heart um, that you maybe never realized before. Or it may be that there's a part of you that you're recognizing maybe believes um, an aspect about this, that there's a part of you that finds identity in holding on to one of these things. And this is an opportunity to begin to align yourself with the identity in God and to hold more clearly to what it means to honor God with your body. God doesn't leave single people alone, though, to just try to figure this out, right? He actually does offer help for us. He actually does work in us. Um, but before we get into that, I actually want to pause here, and we're going to kind of put a little plug in this right here, this part of the discussion. Um, Justin likes to say we're going to put a pin in it, and we'll come back. Um, and and um, <laughs> because I, I think there's, there's actually a really important aspect um, that we need to explore in addition to singleness um, before we get to how God helps us. And that is actually through our faithfulness in marriage. So we want to think, think about sexuality for married couples. Now, think about this in the context of how marriage is a blessing. I want us to, maybe if anybody could tell me, what is so significant and important about the covenant of marriage? What is it that's important about the covenant of marriage? It's a representation of Christ in the church. Yeah, it's a representation of Christ in the church, of God's relationship with us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Any other thoughts? You're accountable to someone outside of yourself. Yeah, you're accountable to someone outside of yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's not supposed to be something that can be broken. Yeah. It's supposed Yes. 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 And it's, it's a little bit more one-sided, right? It's you committing to them regardless of what happens. So it's creating this space where um, we can actually reveal and be emotionally, physically, and relationally intimate in really the deepest way that a human can. Um, and it's, it's in, in that way, um, marriage is actually designed to support that deep intimacy. And so it's, it's a gift to be married. It's a blessing. Um, but this doesn't mean that it's immune from sin, right? And so there are a lot of ways that we actually see how um, marriage or sex within marriage is distorted. And so many times marriage can actually be viewed as a destination, like we talked about, that you've arrived, that you're married, you're spiritually mature, you're obviously capable, and obviously then your sex life is going to be awesome or it's going to be pure um, or it's going to be perfect in some way. I think that oftentimes this can be the perception that we have. Um, but there are ways that we actually 
can distort sex without realizing, or maybe we do realize and we just don't know what to do about it. Ultimately, really, sexual distortion, whether you're married or whether you're single, is an attempt to consume someone else um, just so you can gratify your own desires. And so there are a number of distortions that can happen in marriage, and, and some are more obvious um, and some are less so. Um, and as, as we talk about this, this isn't meant to shame anyone. This is where, in some ways, the conversation gets a little bit more heavy because um, just as we're, as we're talking through some of these things, um, I think that, that it's possible that some of these things have happened to someone in the room or um, have happened uh, have been committed by someone in the room. So I want to um, just be intentional about um, caring and, and know that I recognize the challenge um, and the sh of the shame and the guilt and the, the sense of vulnerability that can be present as we talk through some of these things. Um, but I don't want to ignore these things because I want us to, to find greater clarity um, and I want, us, I want these things to be able to be dealt with in a proper way that leads to God glorifying um, relationship and that leads to healing. And so as we talk through some of these things in particular, um, some of the distortions of sex can be through self-focused sex, sex that is purely for your own pleasure. Um, and this can take form in a variety of ways, which we'll touch on a few in a minute, but an example would be uh, one where your spouse is expecting where one spouse is expecting the other to have sex, be ready for sex, or never say no to sex when it's desired. And this can often result in hurt and anger um, in both partners. And it can also take form um, through laziness, through passive ways, where there's this lazy pursuing of sexuality, that if one spouse doesn't enjoy it, then the other says, I don't really want it from you. Um, and it can be pursued in other ways then through like fantasy, the use of pornography, fantasizing about other people, lustful thoughts about others while actually being physically intimate with your spouse. Um, it can also take form through manipulation, using sex to get what is desired. That, that can be a tool to control by withholding sex or it can be um, through um, trying to protect yourself from a feeling of pain or heartache, whether that be through promiscuity or through abstinence, that there's something that I don't want to feel, and so I'm going to use sex in some way or another to keep myself from feeling that. Um, Self-sex self um, is another distortion. Um, selfishly seeking to fulfill desire outside of intimacy between spouses, that I do this on my own, I don't do this uh, with you. Um, if sexual intimacy is designed by God to help us know God and how God loves him, uh, or God, how God loves us and gives himself to us, then that's not really a purpose that self-sex serves, is it? So I want us to think about that. And then finally, um, sexual abuse or rape. And it may be that we think about this happening outside of the context of marriage. But there are statistics that show actually around 25% of female rape and about 13% of male rape is committed by intimate partners. And this implies that it happens within the context of marriage. 
Um, and so rape is a form of sexual abuse, but it's, it's actually not the only way that sexual abuse actually takes shape. Um, this can also take shape through forcing types of, sexual, uh, types of sexual acts that your spouse is not comfortable with, or forcing sex on your spouse when they are not ready or willing or wanting, um, or like we talked about early, earlier, that expecting sex at any point, regardless of what the other person uh, wants. Now, whether we're single or married, much of this leaves us wondering who we are, uh, or yeah, it, it leaves us wondering who we are. It leaves us feeling empty, confused, and, and whether that's a way that we've committed or whether that's um, by being subjected to. Um, it's heavy and it's hard. And we wanna talk about this um, because it, it does actually help us to, to bring some clarity with how we are misaligned with God um, and how God thinks about sex. Um, but then it also helps us to understand maybe a little bit more our identity in the context of sexuality. And so I want us to maybe at this point, let's meet some of that with, with scripture. And so I had some people, I think Gabe, I had you first. Uh, if you could read um, Philippians 1.6. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that God is actually at work in us, that there's something that's good that's happening um, in, our, in our lives, right? Um, and I had 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Yeah that God is working something new in us, right? That it doesn't matter where we've been, that we are a new creation, that, um, and we'll talk more about how that will ultimately be fulfilled. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6.11. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Yeah, that we used to be um, in a place where we were um, broken, that we were sinful, but God has taken us, has washed us, has renewed us in Christ. First uh, John 2, 1 and 2. It doesn't matter where we're at, whether we sin, whether we don't sin. We have Jesus Christ who's advocating for us, right? I'm not. I'm going to take that back. It does matter if we sin, okay? <laughs> um, but when we sin, we have Jesus Christ who's advocating for us, right? He is the propitiation for our sin. He's the substitute. He's the one who's taken our sin from us. And so, um, finally, we have Psalm 23. Absolutely. And I think in, in continuing in verse uh, two there, it talks about how God restores our soul, right? That he meets our needs, he satisfies our needs, and then he restores us. Now, 
I hope that as we are talking through this, that it becomes a, has become apparent um, that many of the things that are distorted in marriage are actually also distorted in singleness. And many of the things that are distorted in singleness are also distorted in, uh, in marriage. So there's this a lot of overlap, which is at the very least tells us that there's something deeper going on. The sexuality is a blessing in our lives, but the depth of intimacy that our sexuality can bring uh, into relationships can also create uh, some of the deepest wounds in our hearts. Um, but there is a hope that if you've experienced this, there is a hope because God reproves, God redeems, and God makes new, just like we just read, right? And so um, these help to give us hope that God is actually at work, that God is actually helping us, that God is working in us and redeeming. And this all started in Genesis when God created us, when he created us in his image. And I think it also, um, to uh, close off, it actually finishes in Revelation where we see a fulfillment of what God started. Uh, where we experience the brokenness now, but ultimately God is working to redeem not just our sexuality, but actually every part of us. So all of the parts of us that are, are broken, that are sinful, that God is at work in us. And this is, this is what Jesus died for. And so this is our great hope. And Revelation describes that for us. Revelation 21 says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall be, there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Our identity begins with and is fulfilled in God. So, so now we struggle with brokenness. So now we wrestle with sin and suffer, uh, suffering in, in deep, significant ways, God is at work to make all things new. He is at work to bring wholeness um, in our lives. And uh, we have a great hope that that actually will be fulfilled in the future. In the meantime, God actually provides ways for us to see him, to know him, and to help shape who we are. I think oftentimes when we think about what we do, we tend to separate it from who we are. Um, but I think that that would be uh, a mistake if we did that here. That God actually works to shape who we are through different means of grace. And that, that could be um, through counseling, uh, whether that be through like pastoral or couples counseling or individual counseling. Um, that would be through reading the word and prayer. That would be through honest and direct communication. That we are confessing, that we are repenting of sin, that we're actually being honest about our idols, like what Will just talked about. That we actually are able to honestly look in ourselves and see, and then be able to share that with others so that we can have some accountability, um, that we can have mentorship um, by other individuals. Um, and have community involvement in our lives, that we grow together, right? And so, um, uh, two final things. So like the, uh, one practical step is that if you are actually maybe recognizing that you struggle in some way with sexual sin, 
Um, there are actually life change groups that are, will be happening in the spring that will go through what does that look like to understand how do we break free of the bondage of sexual sin? How do we live free in the understanding of God and who he created us to be? Um, and so if you are interested in that, whether, you, whether for guys or for uh, ladies, we have uh, groups that will be happening for both um, in the spring. So keep an eye on that and be ready to connect and plug into those. Uh, but one final practi practical aspect that I want to um, leave off with that um, is not meant to be just a tag on because I, I think it's actually really important uh, for us. And that is that single people and married people actually have a great potential to learn from each other. I think that very often we, we tend to segregate just because it's a different life stage. But I don't think that um, that's actually maybe the most beneficial or the most optimal. I think that um, by working together, we can actually invite single people into our lives as married couples, or we can invite married couples into our lives as single people. And that we can actually, uh, by doing that, we can actually see how God is deeply knowable, that God desires intimacy and depth, and how God is faithful, um, and how he's satisfying and meets all of our needs. And this can actually be done by um, single people and married people growing together by learning from one another. Um, and so I want to I encourage us that maybe that would be the next step, that we begin to, um, to invite one another into our lives to see what God is doing, um, that we can encourage one another in biblical sexuality. And so thanks for participating in our uh, class today. I, I hope that it's been beneficial for you, um, as Alex and I have talked through. Um, if you have any questions or if there's anything that we can do to follow up, please let us know. We'd love to talk. We'd love to connect um, with you. Well, let's pray and then we'll, we'll finish up. Father, I thank you for um, how you provide for us. Thank you that you, you give us an understanding of who we are um, by showing us who you are. God, if we are ever confused by that, that we can turn to you. Lord, I thank you for the community of people that you have placed around us, that you have purchased us, that you have washed us, that you have renewed us and that we can grow together um, in the security and the knowledge of that. Father, I want to pray that you would help us to live out our identity as you, your created uh, image, and, uh, as created in your image. And so, Father, we love you. Um, thank you for your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.